I do remind you that this is a pastoral letter to a young pastor from an experienced pastor, and throughout it he reminds young Timothy what to keep his eyes on. Um, Ministry is working with people. Uh, If you get your eyes on people, it can be very, very discouraging. Uh, It can... uh, or the opposite, it can elevate you in, 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 in the thought that you are something more than you are, or it'll dash you to the rocks. And so ministry is in, incredibly important that those involved in ministry, and this is just not the clergy, this is really all of us who get involved in whatever ministry we have, is to remember the final goal is to honor Christ, to keep our eyes on Christ always, and in doing that, there can be no place of discouragement. Now, discouragement is a human emotion. It's something all of us encounter. Uh, some have described it as a dark cloud that comes over. We begin to count all the negative things, and we begin to be overwhelmed with that sort of thing. And you can do that in life. Or you can choose to refocus your attention on Christ and be constantly encouraged and really, life is what we choose to look at. And so when, when Paul finishes his letter to Timothy, the first letter in chapter 6, um, he wants to give him some charges in verse 13, and just refer there with me, verse 13 of chapter 6. He says, I charge you in the presence of God. And really, that's a presence that we are always in. We are always in the presence of God. And that's a good reminder that wherever we are, whatever we do, whether it's Sunday in a church setting, or it's Monday in the pits. We're always in the presence of God. And I charge you, Timothy said, or Paul says, who gives life to all things. Nothing else gives life, but God gives life. If you look to anything else, there's nothing there. So who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate gave Notice it says, the good confession. And without going there, the confession that Jesus made before Pontius Pilate is that all those who hear the truth come to me. And so the major consideration in the mind of Christ as he confessed that before Pilate was all that matters is truth and that I am the source of that truth. In that statement that he reminds Timothy of the confession of Christ before Pilate, he gives Timothy the marching orders in his presence to stay your ministry focused on the person of Jesus Christ, on Christ himself, on the life that he gives, and the message of that life is what people need. People don't need a talk about psychology. They don't need a positive thinking talk. They need a reminder that the life of Jesus is inside of them and they are to constantly rest and trust that life to live itself out. That's what we need. That's food for our souls. You don't want to hear three points in a poem. You want to hear about Jesus Christ. You want to know how he lives and works in your life. So the testimony before Pilate for Jesus was, although that hear the truth, come to me. Now, Why is that a good reminder for the young preacher? And it's this. As we share the gospel, as we preach the gospel, all those that will come to Christ will come to Christ. All those who want to hear the truth will come and hear the truth. Those who do not come, who walk out 
and don't return, that's God's business, not the preacher's. That's God's business. For you who share the gospel, and I hope it's all of you, for those who reject it and reject you, that's God's business. That's on them. Don't let that get you down. You, you, you know that all that will come to the truth will come to the truth. Keep your mind focused on that. It's not your job. It's God's job. And for those who reject it, that's between them and God. Our responsibility is to, to witness the good confession that Jesus does in that all that will come to the truth will come to Christ. Okay. So to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach, live the life that backs that message up. Don't be something here and something different out there. Leave, leave it unstained, free from reproach. We reproach and stain the message of Christ when our lives are different than the gospel that we preach. We're not consistent. Now, we all fail. We're all going to say things we shouldn't, do things we shouldn't. That's, that's understandable. But a consistent life that is opposite of the message we preach stains the gospel and is a reproach to the message. So he encourages Timothy, your life, in many ways, is just as important as the message you preach. So be careful with that. Guard that. He goes on to say that, um, do that until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end game. Not until we get old enough we can't do it anymore, then we plow in the dirt and pick corn. Do it until the coming of Jesus Christ. In season, out of season. When, it's the, when the ministry's really good and when it's really bad. It's when they, we pack them in and it's when they walk out. It's, it's days that the microphone works and days that the microphone doesn't work. It's days when the music's sharp. It's days when the music's not. It's days when everything's going our way as a church. It's days when everything's falling apart as a church until the day of Jesus Christ. Stay at it. Stay at it. His evaluation of ministry is not our evaluation of ministry. His evaluation of ministry is, did we stay at it until Jesus came back? Were we, were we consistent and faithful? And in the good times, anybody can stick with it in the good times. We are to stick with it in the bad times when it's not good. So, until the appearing of Jesus Christ, which is really the topic of a whole bunch of verses that is going to follow. Notice that appearing will display at the proper time, when he's ready. When is he coming back? When he's ready. Larry wrote a great book years ago about the coming of Jesus Christ, and he points to some ear markers, and we know we're close. But nowhere in the book does Larry say, this date and this time. Because it's the proper time. It's when God says he'll return. That's when he's coming. When is he coming? When he's ready to come. He won't come a moment earlier. He won't come a late day later. He won't come a moment before the election results or a moment after the election results. Who knows what, where, where this world is going, but when Jesus is ready, he's coming back. Don't let your heart get cold toward that truth. He'll split the eastern sky. You ever going down the road and see a beautiful sky in the evening and you see the clouds kind of splitting open? You just think Jesus someday is going to be on that cloud. He's going to appear in the sky. 
Stay at it. Stay faithful. Follow him until that day. So at the proper time, he returns. Notice, I think, when these writers of the New Testament got to certain places in their writing, they just had a, what they, a spell, what the old timers called a spell. This is Paul's bit of a spell here. No, listen to the, the language that he gives. He says, he, which meaning Jesus Christ, is the blessed. He is the only sovereign. He is the only sovereign. We are like little mice. We are like little ants flying around. He is the sovereign one. All that he says he will do. All that he promised he will fulfill. Everyone that's going to get saved will get saved. He does what he wants to do and no hand will stay him. No election will slow him down. This world is right where he wants it. He is the only, he is the powerful one. He is the only one who is sovereign. He goes on to say he is the king of kings. There are kings of this world. He is their king. He is above the most powerful men in this world, far above them. He is the king of all kings. He's the king by which all the kings of this earth bow in submission, or at least will. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Tozer wrote years ago that the church suffers from a low view of God. Here it is, Jesus Christ, he's king of kings. He is Lord of lords, who alone has in possession of himself immortality. He possesses immortality. These are verses and descriptions of the deity of Jesus Christ. He holds within his possession immortality. The fact that we will live forever. We will not only live forever, we will live forever and never grow old. Nothing will break down. Nothing will hurt. We will never be weary. He possesses immortality, and he gives that to us. At least he will when we get there. He possesses immortality. We are mortal creatures. He is not. Who dwells in unapproachable light. He dwells in a light like we've never seen before. The brilliance of which is indescribable. It is unapproachable. The glory and holiness of Jesus Christ is such that we can't even get close to the light that he gives out. If he did not veil himself, we could not see him. We couldn't. Notice the description of glory as he continues, whom no one has ever seen or can see. What does that mean? Well, obviously he was with us for 33 and a half years. Obviously men saw him. Obviously we will see him in the clouds. But listen, brethren, we will never see him in the fullness of his glory. It is impossible. For all eternity in our presence, his glory to a degree will need to be veiled. 
He dwells in such a place of glory that we can't even approach to it. For, for any man to see the full glory of God would destroy the man immediately. That's the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one the world hates and defames. That's the one the world can't stand. Is, and that's what, look, there was an interview oh, a month ago on uh, Fox News one night, and there was a Christian coach who was fired for praying with his team before the games. He prayed with his team up in Washington State. They fired the guy. And there he was with his attorney being questioned by the commentator. Some of you might have saw it. And the lady kept saying this. Why do you think they fired you? Why do you think they fired you? You know, if, if, if there was a Muslim or if there was a Hindu, if there was somebody doing something like, probably would mess with him. Why do you think they fired you? She, I think she was a Christian and she was trying to get him to say it. And he wouldn't say it. His answer was, well, I don't know why they fired me. I don't know. You know why they fired him? Because they hate Jesus Christ. They don't mind Buddha. They don't mind Muhammad. They hate. That's what she was trying to get the guy to say. I was like, come on, man. Come on, say it. They hate Jesus Christ because he is God. He is all these things. Notice. To whom be honor and eternal dominion. Dominion that lasts forever. Notice how he rounds that out. Amen. Amen. I, I think, personally, when we get to where he's at and we see him, I think for me, I'm just going to say amen about a billion times. Amen. And after about a billion times, I'll probably say that's what I'm talking about right there. Amen. The beautiful one. The majestic one. Then he charges in verse 17, As for the rich in this age, in this present age, that's an interesting term, isn't it? Who are the rich? Well, those who live down on Ortega River in the billion-dollar. Oh, go to Haiti. You might be considered rich, and I. It's really perspective, isn't it? Notice, charge, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to think themselves above those who have less nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of their bank account their 401k their investments you know how fast investments can go ask those who lived through the great depression how their bank accounts went in one day it could all be taken away you say well I've got silver tucked away Silver can be rendered worthless. Gold. Don't trust in those things. He says, nor in the uncertainty of riches, but trust but on God. God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Nothing wrong with what God's blessed us with. But always see him as the source of our wealth, the source of our riches, the source of our capital, that he gives it to us for the purpose of enjoying life and enjoying it. It's better to have money than not have money. Amen? Maybe you didn't hear me. It's better to have it than not to have it, isn't it? You want to go buy a corn dog, you know, you need some money, man. 
But if you have it, see it as a gift of God. Don't look on anybody who can't do what you particularly can do. Well, they should have worked harder. Should have been smarter with their money. Maybe those things are true, but don't get in your mind where you're better than they are. Thank you, God, for what I have. And what I have, I'm not going to feel guilty for. I'm going to go get my latte. I'm going to go get my whatever you want. Enjoy it. It, There's a balance there. Verse 18. They are to do good. Our money is not just for us. When we see opportunity that we feel the Lord leading us, we should help people. Be careful with that. Don't help somebody do something they can do themselves. But there are times people are in needs and nothing's wrong with taking some of what we have and helping them with it. Probably two different people I'm talking to tonight. Probably those who rarely do that and those who do it too much. There's a balance, you know? If, whatever camp, if, if you're not doing it, do it some. If you're doing it too much, stop and slow down and be smarter in what you give to people. Notice it says that they do good and be rich in good works. I've found that the happiest Christians are the Christians who are serving. Christians who do good things. That's just not serving within a church. That's who serve other people. The happiest Christians are those who are involved helping people in good works. And the thing, not good sayings and good statements, good things that you do for other people. Psychologists will tell you a healthy life is a life that gives to others. Let them be rich in the good things that you do for other people. Be generous, ready to share. In doing that, look at verse 19. You store up treasures for yourselves as a good foundation for the future. That's in heaven. That's taking the green in your back pocket and creating gold in the place that you're going. That's a good investment. Treasures to come. This isn't treasures like you get a chunk of gold because gold in heaven is the streets you walk on. This is the people that you see up in heaven that you've helped, ministered to, that, that made it down the road as a believer because you were there to help them. And you didn't even realize what you were doing. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about the folks that we help. Look, I'm not Billy Graham, and you're not either. We're not going to help millions. But there's a few around us that all of us can minister to and be kind and loving and share the gospel. That's what God is looking for. Never the masses, always the good works of helping others. Notice there's a benefit here. So that they may take hold, grasp, of that which is truly life. Look, we minister, we serve, we get treasures up there, but we also get to understand we take hold of what really matters in life, what God can do through us to minister to somebody else, to help somebody else, to be used of God. Isn't it it incredible when you're somewhere and you speak to someone a word that you knew that God was in that? That's a spectacular moment, isn't it? It goes on more than you think. People are watching you more than you know. 
and you're making a difference. God's making a difference through your life to the people that are closest to you where you meet every day. And it reminds us of what life is all about. It's not about my pot. It's not about my little circle. It's not about getting people in my little influence to make life easier for me. Next time you talk to someone, develop the habit of concentrating on them, not yourself. Ask how you can pray. I think I told the story Wednesday night. I was out to breakfast with my good friend Mark, who I go to school with. We met a couple times, and the waitress took the order, and she, then she brought the food, and this is what Mark said. I've never seen this done. Mark said to the waitress, said, we're going to bless the food. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? And she spent about 30 to 45 seconds sharing a traumatic family situation. Something with the court, something about taking the daughter away from her daughter. It was, anyway, what a moment. What a good thing to do. You think, well, you might get cussed out. Well, so what you get cussed out? You'll get over it. Most people will be glad to have you pray for them. There were times at the post office, I didn't do it all the time, there were times I reached across the counter and grabbed the, 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 the customer's hand. I said, let's pray right now about that. Lobby full of people. Probably might have gotten in trouble if I did it too much, but once in a while I felt the move, and I just grabbed the person's hand. I said, let's pray right now. And I didn't pray for five minutes, you know, because there's people wanting to buy stamps. But we prayed for a couple seconds. And I didn't mutter the prayer. I said it out loud. God can use you everywhere you go. It's not about what's in your bank account. It's what we can help other people with. Notice verse 20. Oh, Timothy. Do you feel the passion there? Do you feel the love? Do you feel the heart that he says, oh, Timothy? He's not communicating just information to this young man. He loves this young man like a son. Oh, Timothy. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. That's not a bank deposit. That's the deposit of the life of Jesus Christ and how that life was going to play out in the ministry of Timothy. Guard it. That's a deposit that God has placed in you. I mean, just think about this. We are the body of Christ. You remember the body of Christ. We all are. The life that he's placed within you in this place, he plays out ministry in a different way than anybody else. Nobody in this ministry can do what you do because of the deposit placed in you to touch people. Okay? Now, I stand up here. You sit there. We're, but we're equal in all the how the ministry takes place here. There's people you talk to that you love, that you minister to that I don't. And vice versa. We all have different ways. Nothing's more or less significant than any other process. But he says, Timothy, God has placed in you his life to minister in a particular way, in a particular moment, for a particular purpose. Don't miss it. Watch that. I mentioned this morning the church has been complete since its inception. Now the church over, if you study church history, it's a mess for most of the time. It really is. You can get discouraged studying church history. 
There have been infightings, there's been battles, there's been schisms, there's been all kind of mess. From man's perspective, the church over these last 2,000 years has been pretty much a mess. But in God's eye, from the day of Pentecost, it has been a beautiful bride that has been complete and God has ministered in every generation like he wanted to minister and he continues to do so. And I'm telling you that because right now, in this place, in this time, in the last few moments that we have before we go to be with him, he wants to minister in and through you in this place to other people, not only here, but out there. Okay? That's entrusted to us. That's something that, that's something that, well, it's a bank deposit. Here's the checkbook. Begin to write the checks for what God has put in. Then he goes on, he says, avoid irrelevant babble. That's good for the preacher to hear that. There's a lot of irrelevant babble that goes on within a church, of any church, good church, bad church. There's always a lot of babble going on. That is, anyway, I'm trying to be funny at this point when I'm losing, so obviously that didn't go over well. Avoid the ir- irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. It was probably a reference to the blossoming cult of Gnosticism in the first century. Gnosticism still has its roots in many of the cults today, primarily the Christian science, which teaches by a man's intellectual knowledge, he knocks down the layers and gets to the true God, and only those smart ones can actually get closer and closer to God, the intelligentsia. So that was a cult back then, and uh, the warning, it was in its early stages when Paul wrote, it was just coming on the scene. So that was, Larry, the, the refuting of that particular thing. The warning is this for today. Avoid any show of religion where we have a part to get there. Whether it's knowledge, effort, avoid any approach to Christianity where you're not all right now in the throne room of God brought nigh by the blood of Christ, where it's all by grace. I think it's rejecting any kind of law-based approach. And law-based approach are all over the place. Avoid it. Get away from it. Once you understand the grace of God, anything else will close your spirit down. It says... For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And I love how he closes it out. Grace be with you. Grace.